You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. This morning, we are uh, continuing a series we started uh, appropriately called uh, Talking About Our Generation. And we've been talking throughout this month about how God has wired each generation for a purpose and a reason. And uh, sometimes in our, in our culture, the generations can war in the workplace or, or, or in, the, in society. Uh, you know, the older generation doesn't like the younger generation and vice versa. And, but God has called us, he's equipped us as the body of Christ that we all work together. And there's a strength and there's a beauty when we recognize what we bring bring to the table from our different generations. And uh, in a minute, I'm gonna introduce our speaker. Uh, we get to continue that series. Real quick, I wanna mention two things before we do that, though. Uh, first of all, yesterday, we had an amazing day. If you're not familiar, we do something called the Big Serve. And I'm so proud of our church that we continue to prioritize uh, not just what happens inside these walls, but what happens outside these walls. That through your generosity and through our church's generosity, not just giving financially, but our time and our influence to help people outside these walls know that God loves them and cares for them. And our commitment as a church, this is our passion, is that we can make the world around us a better place because we're here. God's people should carry God's presence and where God's presence is, it should change everything it touches. And yesterday, we have a quick picture, I think, of everyone who has served and uh, we were just so grateful for everyone that got out. We had 13 projects all over the Northern area just giving back and uh, thank you to everyone who led and served. <laughs> also, next Sunday, we are starting a new a three-week series and uh, if you are new to church or you uh, have friends who don't go to church, uh, this series is really geared toward that. Uh, we're talking about confessions of a cynical Christian. And we're gonna be talking about it's all fake, that uh, uh, the haters just hate, and that's our Taylor Swift uh, week, and um, just kidding. Um, and uh, that God is selfish. And sometimes we can have these cynical perspectives of what it means to follow Jesus. And uh, we're gonna dive into that. And actually, at the end of each message, uh, we're gonna have, a, throughout the message, really, have an opportunity to text in questions. And, and uh, I'm gonna try to tackle as many of those questions at the end of the message each week as we can. So it's gonna be kind of an interactive series. So uh, invite someone and hope you can join us for that three-week series, uh, Confessions of a Cynical Christian. Now today, uh, as we're closing out this series, talking about our generation, we have one of the most special people in my life, I can say personally, but I think he's been a huge impact in our church. His name is Travis Deans. Before he comes up, uh, I'm gonna you know, explain why he's so important. We have a picture. Uh, he uh, has been in my life for 25 years now. This is my high school graduation, which was just a few years ago. Um, and, and if you can leave that picture up, this is what's so neat, and I think this is so awesome about longevity and um, being in one place for a long time. Um, my high school graduation party right here, uh, we have four people, and all four of those people still are such a big part of my life. Uh, on the left there is Jason Fisher. Uh, him and his wife, Sheila, are one of our care partners in Great Britain. Uh, they're actually getting ready to, they've been raising support, they're getting ready to go uh, back to Great Britain here shortly, and uh, we support them. Uh, at this time, uh, he was a Bible club leader at Hemfield High School. Next is me. Uh, I was a Bible club leader at Derry High School at that time. Then we have Travis. Uh, this is young Travis. He was single at the time, still. Uh, he's not, he has 
kids and married now, but um, this was Travis, and Travis has worked with students all over Western Pennsylvania for, for many years, uh, invested in uh, campus ministries, students who are raising up ministries on their campus, and, and investing in youth ministries, and uh, the reason he knew all of us is because of his work with campus ministries. And last was Amber, who was leading worship today. Uh, Amber was the Bible Club leader at that time in South Moreland, and um, it's amazing how 25, 20, 23 years ago, is this, um, we still all are friends and still are in each other's lives. And Travis, uh, my mom always said, was the son she never had. Uh, Travis loves, Travis has worked in youth ministry for many years. He, in this area, is uh, a staple. And I'm so grateful to, to consider him a friend. He's a person that's known to love people, to love student ministry, and to love Spumoni ice cream. Uh, he loves the Spumoni. And uh, we're just so grateful to have uh, Travis with us. Uh, you guys were in for a treat. Uh, he is not just a wealth of wisdom and knowledge, but he just exudes the heart and love of Jesus. And I'm so grateful to have him and to get to share him. Uh, he's one of our care partners. We support him monthly, but to get to share him uh, this morning with all of us as a church family. So can you put your hands together this morning for Travis Deans? Travis was camping, so he, I mean, he came straight from the tent. That's Thanks, right. Travis. Good That's right. You. Thank you. I probably smell like campfire smoke, too. <laughs> I did take a shower, but that smoke's hard to get out of your hair, off your body. So it is a privilege and an honor to be with all of you this morning. And if you would, we're going to turn to the book of Daniel, and I'm nowhere near the book of Daniel, but if you, uh, yeah, there we go. We're going to turn to the book of Daniel, but as we're, as we're doing that, um, I just wanted to share with you a little bit. I, this, I always tell people at my church, we, we, my family, we go to a Christian Missionary Alliance church uh, down in Uniontown. I always tell them when I'm speaking, this is a great chance to take a nap. If, you, if you're tired, you're exhausted, you know, just, I can't even see you out there, so just go ahead and nod off. Uh, it's no, no problem at all. If you need to walk, get up, walk to the, go to the bathroom, that's fine. Go get a snack. I have, I have four children, so I'm used to people not listening to me when I'm talking. It's, that's just... That's just my life now. <laughs> um, I, uh, so talking about generations, I, I am part of, I'm part of the forgotten generation. We don't get mentioned very often. You know, there's the boomers, the millennials, and Gen Z. You know. I'm part of the generation that most people have forgotten, but we are out there and we're watching. We're watching, you know, the generations fight with each other and all of that, and we're just sitting back laughing at everyone fighting with each other. Uh, I'm part of Generation X. All right, any, any Gen Xers out there? And, and a few, are there any? Just a few? Just a handful? Yeah, we're, we're out there. We're out there. We're just kind of, you know, we, don't, we like to keep to ourselves. We're a little bit snarky. We're a little bit cynical, Nick. We're a little bit, there's a little bit of angst there because we, we grew up before the internet. We grew up before all this technology. We remember what life was like before all of this, right? And so we know how spoiled people today are with cell phones and all that stuff, although we enjoy that technology very much. We, we love it, we're, we're, we've dived deep into it, but, but we remember the old days when you, know, you had to go outside for you know, 15 hours a day and you didn't come home till the lights came on, the street lights came on, and we remember you know, drinking water out of, a fire, out of the hose in the backyard because your parents wouldn't let you in. It's funny, when I became a parent, I understood my childhood so much better. Like, 
when, when my mom would kick us outside, I'm like, I get that now. I, I know why she wanted us out of the house and just said, don't come back till later. Sometime later. I don't care. Just later. Much later. I get that now. I understand that now. I, uh, one day I was cleaning the, my boy's bedroom. And, uh, you know, there's, because, you know, you tell them to clean it and it's, <laughs> it doesn't happen. Oh, so I'm in there cleaning. I'm like, and I'm throwing things away and I'm stuffing things in a trash bag, toys. Are, I'm like, this is what happened to all my toys when I was a kid. My mom cleaned my bedroom and threw them all away. This is why I have nothing left from my childhood because my mom was angry because she had to clean our bedroom. I'm like, I, I understand my childhood now. It's, it, it, a lot of it makes sense. Well, <laughs> I want to ask you today, how many of you, uh, we're, we're talking today about empowering students, talking about empowering the next generation. How many of you have uh, grandkids, nieces, nephews, kids? Do you have someone in your life that's part of, do you have someone in your life that's under 20? Someone under 20 that you love and you care about? Yeah, it looks like, that looks like a lot of you, most of you. This sermon is for you. This message is, this message is for all of us. But if there's somebody that you care about, I want to encourage you today. I hope encourage you, and I hope I hope give you some thoughts and some ideas uh, that might that might be helpful. I hope. Um, but we're going to look today in the book of Daniel because when I when I speak to students, I use the book of Daniel a lot because the world we live in today, the world that our kids are growing up in today, the world that this generation knows today, is not it's not a lot like Jerusalem. It's a lot more like Babylon. The world that they're growing up in is a lot more like Babylon. You know, many of you, some of you will remember a time when going to church was normal. Everybody went to church. It was just a thing, right? Some of you remember a time when, when the Bible was referenced on television. And you remember a time when people had, you know, when being a Christian was a socially respectable thing. And that's not the case anymore. Not at all. In fact, it's completely flipped. Being a Christian is a, it's now become a thing that why would anybody want to do that, right? So times have changed. And so for me, I, when I speak to students, I use the book of Daniel a lot because the book of Daniel is about these, these young guys who find themselves in a place where their God is not worshiped. And the ways of God are not followed. And they find themselves in this place that's foreign to the faith that they grew up in. And so they find themselves in this situation very similar to what young people today, the situation that they find themselves in. And so I hope that this, uh, I hope that as we look at the book of Daniel, we're going to look at four things, four ideas that I, that I hope will help us to help the next generation live in this culture that we're in today. Before we dive into that, I just I wanted to read a couple of things to you. There was a research project done recently here that said, and as I, you know, as I share these things, I share them because, um, partly because they're just they're heartbreaking, but partly because I, I want to uh, encourage us about the importance of this subject. They say that they found out in this research project they predict that based on their research, 35 to 50 million young people are likely to leave the church by the year 2050. The church as a whole, at large, in, our, in the United States. That, that's terrifying, isn't it? That's, 
To me, that is terrifying. Now, they also found that about less than one or I'm sorry, less than one half of young people in the United States identify as Christian. Well, less than half. That that doesn't sound too bad, um, right? That's if if you know forty, you know thirty five, forty percent of young people today identify as Christian. That's not too bad, is it? Well, <laughs> identifying as a Christian but being a Christian who practices their faith are totally different. And they found in this research project that only 8% of young people today practice any kind of Christian habits, such as having faith in Jesus, believing the word of God, believing that God exists, believing that Jesus is the son of God, praying on a weekly basis, reading your Bible on a weekly basis. Only 8% of our current generation do any of those things. So, if current trends continue in America, the church will be half of its current attendance by the year 2050. Friends, the need to pass our faith on to the next generation has never been greater. It's not going to happen automatically. It's not going to happen easily. It's not going to happen uh, culturally. There's, they're not growing up in a faith-filled world. They're growing up in a world very different from the faith that we are trying to pass on to them. And one of my favorite verses is Psalm 78.4. I think we have that on the screen. There we go. Psalm 78.4, I love this, and I'm sure many of you, have, or maybe all of you have heard this before, but it just, it reminds me of why this is important. Uh, Psalm 78.4 says, we will not hide from their descendants, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. David was writing about, you know, we're, we're not going to neglect to pass our faith on to the next generation. We have to do that. We have to share this faith with them. We have to give them this faith. They, they need us to pass it on. They're not going to get it from any other place. They need us to pass this faith on to them. And so as we look, if you'll turn to the book of Daniel, how do we do that? How, what do we need to do to pass on a faith that will last to the next generation? Well, first of all, uh, is if, when you look at the book of Daniel, we're going we're to speed through four chapters in Daniel. We're not going to read all the verses. There's not time for that. But we're going to speed through these four chapters and because there's four things I think will help us. And so in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which that was their Babylonian names, uh, their, their Hebrew names are Hananiah, uh, Mishael and Azariah. Uh, so Daniel and these three friends, they're taken to Babylon as part of this exile. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar attacks the city of Jerusalem. He takes all these people, all these Israelites back to Babylon with them. And these three guys, they're part of that. And so they, they get put into school. They, they are going, literally going to Babylonian school to learn the Babylonian ways. Uh, they, they're going to learn, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse uh, 4, they're going to learn the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And when I speak to high school students, I'm, I'm like, I often say to them, look, you're not the only one that, you're not the only uh, believer that had to try to live out their faith in school. 
Here it is right here in the Bible. Uh, and so they're, they're going to school and they're getting ready for a job, uh, very much like, <laughs> like what our students today are experiencing. Uh, and so they get this food. They are they, because they're part of this school, because they're part of this um, program of getting ready to serve the king, they're going to be fed food and wine from the king's table. And so, uh, you know, they're, all the food is being provided for them, right? And, uh, you know, uh, kids today, they, they go to school, right? There's the cafeteria, right? They, there was a cafeteria. The problem was this food that was being offered, number one, it did not follow the rules of Scripture that God had given to the, to the Jewish people to follow for, for, for the things they could eat and couldn't eat and how it was prepared and all that. It didn't follow God's rules for them for, for what they ate. But secondly, this food was likely offered to idols before being fed to these, uh, the, these uh, students in this, in this program. So Daniel says, you know what? I can't do this. And verse, um, verse eight says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief priest or the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And God caused the official to show favor to Daniel and sympathy to Daniel. And, it's, and the, the official says, look, if you guys aren't healthy, if you don't eat, I'm in trouble. I've, I'm responsible for you. You've got to eat. And Daniel says, okay, listen, how about for 10 days, you just give us vegetables and water. It sounds a little rough, doesn't it? Vegetables and water. Okay, anyway. How about we, we'll just eat vegetables and water and drink water, eat vegetables, drink water, 10 days, and let's see what happens. So he agrees to do that, and at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. Now, I don't know what that royal food was, but apparently it was, you know, pizzas and Arby's and Taco Bell and, you know, because they, they weren't looking so healthy, right? They were eating fast food, apparently. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but Daniel and his friends, they look great. And here's the thing. We need to, if we go to that next uh, slide there, we need to teach our kids to choose to honor God above all. Listen, Daniel was choosing to honor God in the most basic ordinary mundane thing that we do every day right there was there's nothing really that special about eating food it's something i mean we just do it every day we eat this we eat that we don't most of the time we don't give a lot of thought to it or maybe sometimes we do give uh maybe too much thought to it but uh but it's just it's one of those most basic daily everyday ordinary things and even in that daniel chose to honor God, I may be, he's, you know, I may be in Babylon, I may be surrounded by people that don't believe, but I am choosing to honor God. Now, where did Daniel get a conviction like that? Where did he get the, the thought process that I'm going to choose to honor God no matter what everyone else here is doing? And how, how do we help our students, how do we help our kids have a thought process like that? How do we help them choose to honor God even in the most basic mundane things? And I think it goes back to this. I think we need to help our kids know that the commands of God, the ways of God, the truth of God is not random and arbitrary. Uh, very often we'll tell kids, yeah, God says to do this. The Bible says to do that. But we don't, we don't go any further with it. 
Just the Bible says. Well, that, that was enough at one time. At one time, it was enough just to say the Bible says this. But kids, they struggle with that. Well, why should we listen to that? Why is that even in the Bible? Why would God say something like that? And I think one, one of the things that will help us with the next generation is to help them see that the commands of God, the ways of God, are not just random and arbitrary and you know, meant to uh, you know, uh, cramp our lifestyle. The ways of God, the commands of God, flow out of the character of God. When God says do not commit adultery, it's because God, it's not, it's not just a random command that, that's just put in there for no good reason. It's there because God is faithful. When God says don't lie, don't tell lies, it's not because it's not just a random arbitrary command. It's because God is truthful. That's who God is. And so to be like God, we follow that command of God. When God says don't murder, it's not just because murdering is a, a bad idea, you know. Oh, you know, that's, I th- I thought, let's just not kill each other. Uh, no, it's, it's more than that. I mean, it is a bad idea, but it's more than that. God is the author of life. Life emanates from God. God is the giver of life. And so murder goes against the very character and nature of God. You, know, you, you look at any of the Ten Commandments, all of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments all of those commands reflect God's character. And we need to help our young people understand that because those commands of God, are not, they're not just random, arbitrary, this, well, just do this because I want you to, or just do this because the Bible says do it. Just do this because a book written 3,000 years ago says to do it. No. These commands of God, they flow out of the very character of God. And when you know that, when you understand that, you can have conviction about your life the way that Daniel had conviction. We need to move on uh, so we get, get through in time. But the second, in Daniel chapter two, second thing, the second idea here flows out of this, uh, this uh, what happens with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And his dream is, it's a crazy dream, and Nebuchadnezzar was, he was, I mean, you read the book of Daniel, this guy was, he was crazy. He was a wacko. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was just, he just was crazy. He has this dream, and so he says to his, all of his astrologers, his, um, his, his sorcerers, enchanters, his magicians, all his advisors, he brings them all in. He says, listen, guys, I've had this dream. It's bothering me. I've got to know what this thing means. I, I don't understand it. I, I need you to help me figure this thing out. And he says, uh, if you don't tell me what my dream is, I'll have you cut into pieces and your house is turned into piles of rubble. I mean, this guy overreacts a little bit, right? <laughs> um, <coughs> so Nebuchadnezzar says, I want you to tell me the dream. So they're okay. Tell, they're all like, all right, Nebuchadnezzar, we'll tell you what it means. You tell us the dream. He says, no, 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 no. If I tell you the dream, you'll just make up whatever you want. You tell me what the dream was, and then, I, and then tell me what it means, and then I'll know that you're telling the truth. And these guys are like, we can't do that. That's impossible. Nobody can do that. Nobody. Uh, there's not a man on um, Chapter 2, verse 10. They, they answered the king, there's not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great or mighty, has ever asked such a thing. 
And so, uh, you, know, they're, you know, they're frustrated, and the king, he's frustrated because these guys are supposed to have all this knowledge, all this wisdom, all this you know, insight into the supernatural, and they can't produce an answer. And so the king says, he, he gets furious, and he decides to execute all of them. He's going to execute all of the wise men of Babylon. You guys are just, you're, that's it, you're done, you're dead, all of you. So, Daniel finds out what's going on. He hears about it, and he goes, and he's, he goes to the king and says, oh, king, please wait. Please, before you kill everybody, hang on. I think I can help you. And Daniel says, you know, I can't give you, I can't tell you the dream and the answer to the dream, but I know a God who can. And so Daniel goes to God, he prays, he asks uh, his friends, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, uh, to pray as well. They pray, and then he comes back to the king, and God gives him the answer. And then Daniel says to the king, he says, uh, in chapter 2, verse 27, Daniel says, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner could explain to the king the mystery that he dreamed about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind are these. And then Daniel goes on to explain the dream. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about a statue, a giant statue. And the head was made out of gold. The chest was made out of silver and the, the arms. The belly and the thighs were made out of bronze. Its legs were made out of iron. The feet were made out of clay. And then it says that this statue, this, you know, the statue was there made out of all these different kinds of metal. Then it says um, a rock was cut out, but not with human hands. It says... Um, there's a, there's, uh, wait a minute, I lost my place. Nope, that's not it. Basically, he says there's a rock that will, uh, uh, um, where did it go? Oh, there it is. In the time of those kings, God of heaven will, the rock represents, what he does, he goes, he goes on to explain, he says, the, the pieces of the statue, the gold, that's your kingdom, that's Babylon. He says, the chest and the arms, that's the next kingdom, that's, and which was the, Mede, the, the Medes and the Persians. Then he goes on and says, there's another kingdom coming. Uh, the bronze, the bronze legs represented the kingdom of Greece. Right? Alexander the Great, the, the Greeks, they, they conquered all of the known earth uh, after the Persians. And then the final kingdom made of iron was the Romans, the Roman Empire. But he says, there's a rock cut out, and the ro- in his dream, the rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, destroys the statue, destroys all of those. And, he, and Daniel says that that rock is the, etern- the eternal kingdom of God. In verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will endure forever. So Nebuchadnezzar is dreaming of a statue. It represents all the empires, kingdoms of the world, but they're destroyed by a giant rock, a rock that represents an eternal kingdom. What Nebuchadnezzar was dreaming about was the coming of Jesus. He was dreaming about the coming of the kingdom of God. He was dreaming about the gospel, but he didn't know what it meant. He was dreaming about the gospel in terms that a king would, would understand, that the king of an empire would be, would, that would get his attention, and of course it did. But he was dreaming about the gospel, and he needed somebody to explain that message to him. And friends, we live in a world today so full of confusion and chaos, so full of questions, and today we, you know, 
we are in desperate need of people, including our young people, who can say to another person, I know you're confused. I know that there's a lot of questions, but here's what it means. Here's, can I tell you, here's what it's all about. I like to tell students, there was a time when I was in high school that my, uh, my band director, I was in the band, um, I played the trumpet when I, was, uh, when I was little. I wanted to play the trumpet in the worst way, and I did. Um, so I was in the band, and uh, one day our band director comes in, and he says, he says, I just, I just don't know what life is about anymore. He was, he was confused. He had lost clarity. He was, he was in a fog, the same way that Nebuchadnezzar was here. He just, I don't know what had happened. I don't know what had, uh, had taken place just prior to that, but something had taken place. And it would have been the perfect opportunity to say, can I tell you, I know you're having a bad day. I know something obviously went wrong. Can I tell you some good news can I share some good news with you? Can I tell you about a God who loves you and cares about you? About a God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you? And I wish I could tell you that I said that at that time, but I didn't. I missed a great opportunity to help someone with questions, someone who didn't know what was going on or what to do next. I missed a great opportunity to share God's truth. And so the second uh, idea from the book of Daniel is that we need to equip our kids to speak God's truth with compassion. You know, we, as Christians, we're called to, to share God's truth. But we need to do it like Daniel. Daniel, Daniel hears all these guys are gonna die. The king has ordered the execution of all these people. And Daniel has compassion in his heart. It doesn't, doesn't use the word compassion, but you know, you, he hears that and says, King, wait, please, don't kill everybody yet. I can, I, there's a God who will reveal the truth to you. We need to have, for the, in this culture, this world that we're living in, it's easy to be judgmental of people who don't believe what we believe. It's really easy to be uh, to even look down on people. Like, how can you believe that? How can you think that, right? There's so many crazy things that are being done and promoted and, and, uh, and forced on us today. It's really easy to look down on people and say, that is insane. How can you believe that? But it's better to realize that our culture is in a complete dark misty fog that people just they can't see the truth they're being blinded by the enemy of their souls and rather than approaching people with and especially our young people rather than approaching them with judgment and and um and uh, criticism we should approach them with compassion hey listen i know the world is a crazy and difficult place it's hard to understand what's going on can I share with you God's perspective? Can I share with you God's truth, what God says about this situation, about that situation? My, you know, my kids, uh, they, love to, they love to watch. My kids, don't, they don't like to watch television. No, they don't. They like to watch YouTube. <laughs> they, that's all they watch. They just, they don't, you, hey, you wanna, watch, you wanna watch a TV show? You wanna watch a movie? No, let's watch YouTube. It drives us crazy because, well, it just does. We're, 
my wife and I were, we're you know, we grew up watching great television shows, right? Knight Rider, The A Team, MacGyver, Dukes of Hazard. We grew up watching great TV. All of our kids, all they want to do is watch people play video games on YouTube. It's crazy. <laughs> um, it's we need. I forget where it's going. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I was camping all weekend. I'm, I'm, I'm still. Uh, I'm still waking up. We. Um, we need this world that we're living in, the media, that's where I was going, YouTube, uh, social media, the, the, uh, everything that kids, everything that they're seeing, everything that they're hearing is obscuring and clouding their vision. Everything that they're, you know, it's like I have a friend named Walt Mueller who does a lot of youth culture stuff. He says it's like, it's like a soup that they walk around in. It's like, it's like walking around inside of a bowl of soup and you, you, can't, you can't see clearly. And that's what's happening today. And, and those of us who have grown up as believers, we take for granted the fact that we grew up hearing the word of God, knowing the word of God, knowing God's truth. And, and sometimes we're harsh in trying to explain God's truth to people. And, ra- and rather than be harsh, we need to approach people with a heart of compassion. Listen, I know this is confusing. I know there's a lot of craziness. Can I tell you what God's word says? Because it will make sense. It will help you make sense of the chaos. And the confusion really began, I think, it uh, really began badly about 150, 60 years ago when we decided that we didn't believe we needed a creator anymore. When, he, when we decided, you know, God, there's no, we don't need a creator. We can explain how we got here without one. Man, that was kind of the beginning of the end because you throw out the first chapter of Genesis, then you start throwing out everything. You start throwing out all of it, right? And so, anyway, like Daniel, we need to, we need to equip our students to be able to share God's truth with people. One of my favorite tools for doing that is, and some of you have seen this, and this was actually created by, uh, by the Assemblies of God. One of my favorite tools for sharing the gospel and sharing God's truth, and I must have, I don't think I have it in here. Uh, one of my favorite tools is called Alive in Five. Do you guys have any of those, Nick? Even those cards? Uh, it's just a little card. It's got these five symbols on it. I always keep one in my wallet. It's got these five symbols on it, and the five symbols help a student be able to share the gospel message with another person. We've got to equip them. We've got to help them know what is God's truth and how do you share it with another person. Okay, number three. In Daniel chapter three, we're gonna move quickly here. Daniel chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar, I think he was inspired by his dream. And he he says, okay, that, that was such a great dream. I'm going to actually build a gold statue. I'm going to build a giant gold statue. And then I'm going to have everyone bow down and worship my statue. That, that sounds great. That would, be, that would be amazing. And so he does that. He, he builds the statue and he says, the, he gathers everyone together. When you hear the music play, I want you to bow down and worship my statue. Well, you know the story. Uh, Everyone starts bowing down to the giant 90-foot-tall gold statue, which most likely looked like Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, They start bowing down to it, and three guys are left standing. Three guys, I mean, you you know how it is, like, you know how it is at church when when everyone stands up and, and, or, or when everyone, usually it's when everyone sits down, and like, if you're in the front row and you don't realize everyone behind you sat down and you're still standing there, right? Remember how awkward that feels? (laughs) Um, 
You know, it must have felt a little bit awkward. Here they are, Nebuchadnezzar's insisting that everyone worships the statue, uh, that they bow down to it. These three guys, they stand. They stand. And not only do they stand, but they stand in the face of imminent danger because the king had already said, if you don't bow down and worship this, you're getting thrown into a fiery furnace. Right? And so the king hears about this and, uh, and he has them brought before him. And he's, it says in chapter 3, verse um, 13, he's furious with rage. He's just insanely angry at them. We already know that Nebuchadnezzar is, you know, he's, he's an off of their heads kind of guy, right? So he's like, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heat that furnace up seven times hotter than it already is if you don't bow down and worship my statue. And they say in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, O Nebuchadnezzar, I love this. This is so good. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Where in the world did they get that kind of courage? Because that's the kind of courage we need today. That's the kind of courage we need to pass on to the next generation. If they are ever going to be uh, to carry faith with them into the future, if they're ever going to walk with God into the future, they have got to have that kind of courage. Because every day we are being... Uh, asked to bow down and worship idols that we know God would not have us worship. And that's, that's, that's not a new thing. You know, America, we have, been, we have been perfecting idol worship for decades and decades, right? Money, power, success, celebrities, sex, uh, um, sports, technology, everything. We, we worship all kind of things in this country. And we have got to be people who have courage to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. And how do we do that? How do we, how do we help our kids have that kind of courage? Well, first of all, they've got to understand who God is, right? They've got to understand God's character, what God is like. And, you know, that the Bible is not just random commands, but they flow out of the character of God. They've got to be able, we've got to give them the freedom to ask questions. We've got to give them the freedom to uh, to, we've got to help them understand that we know that this is a confusing time. We know that this is that things are crazy. But here's what God words, God's word says. We've got we've got to be able to give them space to ask questions the way that Nebuchadnezzar did and answer those questions with compassion. But third, we have got to uh, we've got to encourage our kids to stand when everyone else is bowing down by sharing the stories that will give them that courage. You know, this is, by this time in the Bible, you know, this is uh, in the late 500s BC, um, a lot of things have happened. There's a lot of scripture that comes before this, right? Those guys have heard all kind of stories of the faithfulness of God, of the work of God, of the miracles of God. They have been told over and over and over again of God's deliverance, of how God has saved his people this time and that time and this time and that time. They've heard those stories of what God has done, how God has worked. And friends, our kids today 
They need that same thing. Not only do they need to hear the stories of the Bible, how God has delivered and rescued and saved his people, but they need to hear the stories of how God has done that in your life. They need to hear your story. They need to hear you share with them, hey, can I tell you how God worked in my life? Can I tell you how God has worked in our family? Can I tell you a story of what God has done for me? They need to hear those things so that they will have the courage. When it's their time to stand instead of bow down, they need to know that we have been courageous enough to do the same thing. They need to know and they need to see with their own eyes that we who are older have had the courage to trust God in difficult situations. We can't just tell them, hey, do this because it's the right thing to do. We need to tell, we need them to be able to say, hey, we need to be able to say to them, do this as I have done it. Let me set an example for you. That's one of the most important things we can do for our young people. As a dad, I struggle with that every day. I struggle so hard with setting the right example for my kids. But I pray to God every day, God help me to have courage to do the right thing so that my kids can see me having faith and trust in God and the courage to back it up. When I wake up in the mornings, or when my kids wake up in the mornings, I want them to see me reading God's word. When, when they, on Sunday mornings, I want them to see me encouraging us to get to church because it's important, because it's matter. They need to see my faith in action. And I believe that these three guys, I believe that they had the courage to stand up when everyone else was bowing down because they saw their, their parents and their elders do the same thing. And they, they heard the stories of God's faithfulness, of God's greatness, we need, to be able to, we need to be able to set that example for them. And we need to be able to have uh, conversations with them. Instead of, instead of you know, judging them and, and, and telling them they're wrong, let's have conversations to help them understand God's truth. And let's help them understand what a great and awesome God we serve. The, the God we serve is so good. His mercy, his righteousness, his love, his peace, his joy, everything that God is, everything who God is, it's what they really want. It's what they're really searching for. They'll spend decades of their lives searching for anything and everything if they don't find the God that they were made for. I just want to invite you now, if you would stand we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna pray for the next generation. We're gonna pray that God would help us to empower them, to embolden them, to encourage them, to equip them to take their faith into the future. My prayer for all of you is that this church would not lose 50% of its members by the year 2050. I'm praying that this church doubles, triples, and quadruples because you all have passed your faith on to the next generation. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are, it is such a privilege to be here together. We are grateful for the opportunity to come and to worship you. But God, we, we are, we're living in times that are in some ways frightening. We're living in times that cause us to question everything we've believed. We're living in times that, that are confusing like never before. God, I pray that you would help us to see 
a better picture of who you are. God, help us to see you more clearly and help us to help our kids and our grandkids and our nieces and our nephews and, and our neighborhood kids. Lord, help us to help them see you clearly. And Lord, help us to love them with compassion. Help us, God, to love them with understanding that yes, this is a confusing world, but we have the truth that you're looking for, the truth that you're hoping to find out, that you're hoping to understand. We have it. It's here. God, help us to share that truth with a generation that's just engulfed in confusion and chaos and craziness. And Lord, I pray you would help us. Help us, God, as, as older believers, help us to set such an example for the next generation that they can look at our lives and they will see great courage that they will see great faith, that they will see a great love for you in us, that they will want to emulate, that they will, that will inspire them to be bold when their moment comes. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for, the, for this pastor. I thank you, Lord, for the people here. I thank you, Lord, for how they're impacting their community. And God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would use them in great and mighty ways to impact and empower and equip the next generation. Lord, I pray that you would use this church in such an amazing and mighty way. Lord, I pray that those grim statistics would not occur in this place. I pray, Lord, in this place that kids would hear about Jesus and give their lives to him, live their lives for him and let your Holy Spirit live inside of them and through them and empower them and anoint them to go out and change the world. I pray, Lord, that this church would produce world-changing kids. God, I thank you for Calvary Church and I pray your blessing on it today. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. In Jesus' great name, amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 